You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. We're continuing on, and the title of this message is Peace in a Troubled World. And we're going to be uh, camping out, and it's almost going to be an exposition in the book of Judges. And uh, before we actually get, we have to set a setting or a context to the book of Judges that will actually be very important for us as Christians, as Christ followers. Uh, as we begin to look, number one, at the book of Judges, even in the name of the book of Judges, I want to help you have some insight because they'll have direct application in the New Testament that we as Christians, I don't know if you're aware of this, we're actually called to be deliverers. If you are calling yourself a Christian, I want you to think about that. What does that mean, Christian? It means anointing. You guys are anointed ones. That means you have the capacity to set others free. And so that's what we're raising up in this house to that end. And for those of you who call me your pastor, Pastor Wendy and I, and the leaders that are here, we're so thankful that you sit under the word of God and it strengthens you. And we love to hear the testimonies of how God is setting you free as well as God's power operating in through your life. Long, uh, I should say it this way, that it should be something in the, dis- in, the, in the past in which it's just the anointing proceeds from the pulpit. The anointing is vested in the people of God that sit in front of the pulpit. In seats yourself, the congregation, you are priests and kings unto God, not just the person who has the spotlight on him behind the pulpit. You see, you have a very valuable position that you have before God because you reach people I'll never be able to reach. And what we call in secular society, which it is not secular society, it's sacred society. Why? Because you are there. You make that place sacred. It's not secular duty. So don't look upon yourself and despise the position that God has given you. God has uniquely placed you in that position so that you are a light in the darkness. You are salt in the world. And so never despise that place that you have as well as the anointing that is upon your life. And everyone says. So we're going to be looking at the book of Judges because of its application And so we want to continue on. The first thing that we want to establish here in the book of Judges is that none of the main characters in the book of Judges, as you begin to read through it, you'll see biographical sketches of many people. You got Samson, you got Gideon, you got Deborah. You'll have a whole list of people that are actually main characters in a narrative. And what's interesting about this narrative that is here is you'll find and see the callings of people, the anointings of people, the gifting of people, and you'll see a lot of them within this one book. Oftentimes, when you look at Jeremiah, you look at Ezekiel, you look at Daniel, you'll see the calling of the chief person or the character within that particular book. Judges is very unique is that you'll see a history and a pattern of God's calling, and so we have much to learn from as Christians in the New Testament. In fact, you don't see so many bio, uh, uh, biographical sketches. Maybe the only one that is close to it 
or at least maybe at the same uh, uh, genre, is the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them you can see a biographical sketch. So all that to say this, Judges is actually very important in the New Testament for us as Christians. So here's the first thing. None of the main characters are identified as Shofet. That means a judge, okay? So I'm going to really, I want you to begin to look even at the book of Judges because we have to kind of recalibrate the way we view the book of Judges. The second thing is here is the root Shafat isn't in the book's framework. Number three, the judges don't judge in the legal sense as we understand in American culture and society. How many know if you think of a judge, you're thinking Supreme Court, you're thinking of maybe a county court, you're thinking of maybe a state court. There are courts by which you stand before judges and cases are actually argued. Actually, we don't see this in the book of Judges. We see it to a limited degree. So again, the judges don't judge in the legal sense, but are characterized as saviors. Say saviors. Or Mohitian, that means savior. So when we look at the book of Judges, we are really looking at those who bring salvation to their people. And often in the context of a foreign enemy. How many know Jesus is our savior? But let me submit it to you that all of us who call ourselves like Christ are actually to be saviors ourselves to a lost and dying word, just not a capital S, a small s. And everyone says, now I have to clarify that because some will say, he's saying he's Jesus. No, I'm not saying I'm saying I'm like Jesus and you're like Jesus. And just as he brought deliverance, so we are also to bring deliverance to a lost and dying world. So Shaphat more widely means, so now I want to give you the wider view of this Hebrew word, because again, we can frame it in an American term that a judge is someone who sits on the bench and just simply passes judgment. Not so in the book of Judges. So we could say it more widely means to rule, number two, to govern, or to exercise leadership, not strictly judging in the sense that we understand. Lastly, the word can mean to lead in dealing with outside threats. As we begin to look at the book of Judges, we're going to see similarities, even in context to the present world that we are in today. How many know in a, past, uh, in a post-COVID world, there's a lot of trouble? How many know that in troubled times, this is when we need the peace of God more than ever before? Because the peace of God is not found in safe spaces in the earth. It's only found in Christ and Christ alone. And everyone says. So it means to lead in dealing with outside threats. And in this book, it is used in that way primarily in the sense, listen, to deliver. Say deliver. So all of you are called to be deliverers. You say, pastor, are you sure about that? Yes, just you are not yet but you will sue. And everyone says. In fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you're a deliverer. Now, I don't want you to say it like this. Uh, you're a deliverer? Don't do it like that. You're a deliverer. You're making a prophetic proclamation over that person. Now turn to your other neighbor. You're a deliverer. And now that we've broken the ice, I'm going to continue this a little bit further. 
Now I want you to turn to that person and say, I'm a deliverer. Now turn to your other neighbor. I'm a deliverer. Now you're ready for this? Turn to your neighbor again. Say, now start acting like one. <laughs> now turn to your other neighbor. Now start acting like one. I often like of it that Christianity is like two sides of a coin. We often, we emphasize, you got the heads and you got the tails of a coin. Is that correct? The heads is, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So we see the love of God. But how many know that Jesus is also a deliverer, which means he's also a destroyer? You got to have both sides of it in Jesus' name. So again, uh, that means to deliver. That is lead the people in their campaigns against the outside threats to their security. Now, in the Old Testament, this is a theocratic order by which it was against flesh and blood. How many know in the New Testament that our wrestling is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers? How many know we can clearly see that Jesus was a judge or a deliverer on behalf of people, and that was his primary campaign against a very real enemy that is assaulting the people of God. And everyone says, you're called to be a deliverer. Whether you see it or not, you shall be in Jesus' name. Mm. Second, we want to establish this again in the book of Judges. Second, there are three canons of Scripture. You say, what do I mean by that? In the Jew, there's the Jewish canon. Number two, there is the one that we would all be familiar with. That's the Protestant canon. And then third, there's the Catholic or the Orthodox canon, which includes the Apocrypha. So those of you who come from a Catholic background, you know there's also, in addition to the Protestant, there's the Apocrypha. But I want you to take into consideration that the Jewish canon is in a section called the former prophets. Now, why is this important? Because outside of the Jewish canon, we often view Judges as a historical book. But I'm going to show you, listen, that the Jewish canon is in a section called the former prophet. That is primarily a prophetic book, not a historical book. So oftentimes what happens is we put our history glasses on and we fail to put on the prophetic glasses. And so therefore, we read the scripture, and rightfully so to a degree, as a history book rather than a prophetic book. That means it actually has prophetic information for us that tells us what God wants to do here in the future. So if you read it simply as a historical book, you'll fail to make the New Testament connection and its significant application to Jesus. Again, it's not simply a history book of what God did. It's actually a prophetic book. And let me submit this thought to you, because we're a people that believe in prophetic and apostolic and evangelistic and pastoral and teaching graces, and God has set those into the church according to the book of Ephesians. And oftentimes, we simply define very narrowly that a prophet is someone that sees in the future. Let me submit to you that those who see in the future must be very clear-eyed with history. And that as we look at this history, it's for the purpose of being prophetic. 
Because you'll find out that history indeed does repeat itself. I'm always shocked with how people fail to see history repeating itself. You'll see it more amongst the young people. With those who are older, they've seen a few things. They've seen cycles within history. So they're very wise onto it, into the spirit of the age. It's the younger ones that are strong that the enemy wants to hijack and destroy. Because often, listen, the Bible's very clear at this point. There's nothing new under the sun. Can I tell you, the devil only has a few tricks. He only has a few tricks he can do. But what he does is all he does is repackage it in a current generation. This is why the young ones get deceived so quickly. Because he wants to merchandise their strength for his cause. But those of us that have been around a few years, come on, are you here? We sit there and we sniff that stuff out. Ah, this isn't nothing new. It's just marketed by the devil a little bit different. But if you pop the hood and you look in, it's that same old spirit of the age. And those that are older, those that are wiser, those that have silver like I have coming in, hallelujah, we can sniff those things out. And this is why we have to be connected to the generation that's coming up so that we can say, hey, actually, this is nothing new. This is actually the same thing they preached back in my age during that time. And it was a deception back then, and it's a deception now. All he's done is marketed it to a new generation by which they get suckered and conned by it. And everyone says, all right, that was for free. Hallelujah. What does this all come to? If you read it simply, as I say, as a historical book, you'll fail to make the New Testament uh, connection and a significant application to Jesus. And what was that? Jesus was a deliverer. This is the takeaway in the book of Judges. And it has application to you and I today. Not just to Jesus, but because we follow Jesus. How many know the things that he does, I want to do too. I want you trained to do the things that he does. That no matter where God plants you, you have the power of God to bring deliverance in your generation according to where God has planted you. And to believe God for the supernatural to move and operate through your hands, not just the pastor's hands. In fact, you could say this indeed isn't just the book of Judges. You could say this is a book of deliverers. Or a book of deliverance. You see, a book, this is a book on the ways of the Lord, the callings of the Lord, the anointings of the Lord. Come on. The way you see the anointing work upon these different leaders. All of these things in which the anointing operates is for us to get insight on how we are in the New Testament. God wants to gift you and he wants to be able to grace you. And we can get insight into the ways of the Lord, which are spiritual, by which they have proper application in the New Testament. So it's callings of the Lord, anointings of the Lord. Come on, this also shows the training of the Lord. We are to look at this and go, okay, I get it. Samson, whoa, powerful anointing. I'll take that. But character-wise, he needs a little bit of help. And it's actually setting the stage so that we can learn ourselves how to learn from great people of the, path, uh, of the past. Not just of admiring their anointing and what they did, but also realizing that there is this treasure in earthen vessel. If you will, there was an anointing that came upon their life. But how many know, some of them were misplaced a little bit in their devotion to Christ. 
And that's actually an evidence for us, something that we can ourselves learn so that we can finish our course with great victories. And everyone says. So we want to look in Judges chapter 13. And again, I want to continue with showing how Judges, as well as in the New Testament, there are very clear similarities in this concept of deliverance and deliverers. It says this in verse 3 of chapter 13. Now, this is regarding Samson. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Verse 4, Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. This right here, we could go and begin to expound about callings, which we're not going to do. What I am going to do is show you the similarity in the New Testament. It says, you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is to never be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. Notice this. He will take the lead in delivering, say delivering, delivering, delivering Israel from the hands of of the Philistine. Notice the trouble that there was in society at this time before a deliverer is introduced on the set. I want you to notice in Luke chapter 1 verse 15. So whether it's John the Baptist or whether it's Jesus, notice the similar deliverance-like narrative that takes place in the New Testament. It says this, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is to never take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Further on in verse 31, it states this, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Do you see the similarities in Samson as well as in the New Testament? In fact, when you go to Luke chapter 1, verse 42, go down just 11 verses later, it says, In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. So we see similarities in the call of God, the expression of it in which God used barren women, in which we see that there was something that was great that came from society that would consider them under a curse because they were barren, but out of their barrenness, deliverers were brought forth in the earth. And everyone says. Third, this is a Samson narrative of a deliverer in the Old Testament. This is a shadow in the Old Testament, but the substance is in the New Testament and is found in Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, who indeed is our deliverer. In fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, I love this. I alluded to this earlier. Notice this. The reason, say the reason. the reason. In other words, this was his purpose. This is his statement of faith of why he came. He said, the reason the Son of God appeared was to love the devil's work. No, it's not what it says. How many of you know he loved people? But how did he love people? By destroying the works of the devil. We're living in a culture that loves God, but tolerates the devil. Loves God, 
but isn't even interested in investigating why people are bound up. Which leads me to conclude, do you really love people if you see people bound up, but you have no desire on the inside of them to set them free? Don't sit there and say you love God, but you don't love them if you're not willing to destroy the enemy that is assaulted and routed and bound up the people of this age. Comes back to the, 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 the heads and the tails. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, how does he do that? By destroying the works of the enemy. All of us are called to be deliverers. Love God and destroy the devil. That's my motto. Don't live one-sided. Every time people flip the coin, it always lands on heads. It never gets to the tails. And so what happens is theologically, that's all we do is we love God, love God, love God, and people are demonized all around us. They're bound up all around us. They have all kinds of issues that are in its origin. They are absolutely demonic, and yet we have a church that isn't rising up to become deliverers in their age, in the place that God has planted them. This needs to change in our nation. God is raising up a people in a turbulent times such as we see in the book of Judges, just as there was bondages, just as there was curses over the nation. How many know we've gone very far of being called a Christian nation? It can no longer be said that we are a Christian nation. We are a nation that have Christians in it. I actually don't believe in a Christianized nation. Each individual person has to make a confession of faith. And so likewise, in our nation, as we begin to make confession of him, that in G, indeed Jesus does love us and that he loves people, he's also willing to destroy the enemy. And it is incumbent upon us as people in the house of God to rise up to it, to become deliverers in our time. You say, that makes me a little bit nervous. The only reason why it makes you nervous is because you sense the fear that is around you. But do not allow fear to govern and direct your path and to direct your cause. Because at the point in which you yield to the spirit of fear, it will begin to bind you up in your gifting. It will begin to bind you up in that anointing by which it's the anointing that sets the captives free. It will inhibit your ministry. And God doesn't want that to be part of of the inhibiting of what happens to you. We are to rise up and destroy, even as Jesus. He was here to destroy the works of the devil. And everyone says. In fact, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, we see this. The book of Hebrews talks about this prophetic book in history. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, book of Judges, Barak, Samson, Again, this is the book of Judges or the book of Delivers. So those who want to be Delivers must live in present having faith in Christ. Not in your traditions. Not just in you being religious. That's the problem with Christianity is people are not placing their faith in Christ. They're placing their faith in a system of traditions within the church. That's why you don't see the power of God in the church. Because people, unbeknowingly, aren't placing their faith in Christ and what he's speaking to them. And everyone says. Notice this. It continues on. And about David. Why did I highlight that? Because how many know that Jesus was called the son of David? 
How many know what David's job was? He was one who actually routed enemies that were occupying called the Philistines. Come on, all of you who went to Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about, right? He had that. What was it that he had? Come on. Sling. Who did he throw it at? Who was a? Who was an uncircumcised enemy. And notice, just as David routed the enemies that was bringing destruction, he himself is also a deliverer. And Jesus himself in the New Testament is a deliverer. But the war is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers that wage. And we have the opportunity in the New Testament. They all in the Old Testament, I'm sure, draw job, go, oh, I wish I lived in your time. We lived in a theocratic time, but oh, you guys get to do what Jesus did when he was on the earth. You get to rout devils. You get to rout armies. You get to rout these things. I don't know about you, but when I stand before God and he says, what did you do? I'll be like, I was doing what Jesus did. Not like, oh, I was just having church. We were having tea parties at Flourish. No, no, no. Don't hear what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with having tea. But how many know when they have tea, they also are, I cut to You guys took that wrong. I said, not only tea parties. You can have your tea party. Have your tea party and war in the spirit. Same thing, men, caliber. Nothing wrong with going shooting the guns. But shoot the real guns. Mmm. I love you. <laughs> Notice verse 33. Who through faith, what did they do? They conquered kingdoms. How do you conquer kingdoms? Through faith. It's not like, oh, God, give me this kingdom. No, he says you have to fight for it. There is a fight of faith. And what happens is many people in the church are indoctrinated with a, they call it sovereignty, but it's a misplaced extreme sovereignty and it's actually fatalism. What will be, what will be, it's all in God's hands. Is that how Jesus worked miracles? Well, you're blind, well, just trust, you know, the Father, it must be for your own good. You got leprosy, sorry, I don't know, we'll just have to trust the sovereign plan of God. Oh, you got demons, well, I don't know, you'll just have to trust the sovereign plan of God. You're crippled. No, forget about picking up your mat and walking. It must be part of God's sovereign plan. God must be trying to teach you something. Isn't it always interesting, the people that don't work miracles, that's the only answer that they have? It's just trusting God that this is the sovereign plan of God. That's called fatalism. Hmm? We're supposed to do what Jesus did. Pick up your mat. What does he want? I want to be able to see. All of these things that Jesus did, how was it done? It says this, watch this. It doesn't say who through sovereignty conquered kingdoms. I don't know. Isn't it always amazing? These people that sit there and claim just, you know, God must be trying to teach you something. Notice they don't work miracles on behalf of people. They don't set people free. Stay away from these type of people. 
they don't have your best interest in mind. Come on, are you here? I don't know. See, I was a person that was set free by the power of God. I know what it is to have a family. And they're watching me online. Love you, mom and dad. We were all demonized. We were set free. So I can't help that when I was set free to sit there and just watch the landscape of Christianity. Oh, just trust God. God must be trying to, you know, just trying to uh, teach you something. I'm like, no, he wasn't. Isn't it always amazing that usually on the back end of it, he must be trying to teach you. You never know what he was. He was actually trying to teach you. Some of you are smiling because you're like, "Mm mm-hmm, I've heard that line before. That's called the traditions of men. Stay away from people like this. I'm sure they love you to a degree, but they're not looking out for your best entrance insofar as bringing about the power of God to set you free. And everyone says. So when you live by faith, what is he trying to teach you? Rise up. Believe God. Declare. Prophesy. Direct your paths according to what you know he said. And then watch you begin to walk on water. Now notice this. Mm, I can't get off of Hebrews right here. (laughs) Who through faith, they conquered kingdoms and administered justice. Watch this. And gained what was promised. The promise. Oh, God promised me something. When is it going to come? It doesn't come to you. You go to it. God promised I was going to walk on the water. When is he going to like lift me up and place me out of the boat? Through faith, step out of the boat. Again, that's fatalism. What will be what will be? That's not true sovereignty. That's fatalism. And any church that preaches fatalism will never see the power of God. Simple as that. Run from these places. And everyone says, that's not all what happened. They gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions. They quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword. Notice this. Whose weakness say weakness. Weakness. Notice there's an acknowledging of being weak. But how many know you do not allow your mindset to be defined by your weakness? I'm weak, but he'll make me strong. I may be small, but he'll make me big. I may be beneath, but I'll come up on top. You have to have a change of mindset according to what he says, because you're placing your faith in what he says. And everyone says. Notice also whose weakness was turned into strength also means it shows and it reveals the process of God. That there is going to be a struggle, and it's a struggle of this right here, believing what God says. We see this image in the Old Testament. We know those who are sent into the promised land. What was it that they said? Oh, we look as like grasshoppers. In other words, they had the wrong source of information. They placed it, they placed their, their, their source of information in the wrong place. What they should have listened to was the testimony of the woman who said, ever since God set you free from Egypt and destroyed Egypt, all of the surrounding nations, 
their hearts are melting with fear because of you. So imagine, they look at the, we look like grasshoppers. But how many know in their hearts, their, their hearts were already melting with fear. They place their trust in the wrong source of information. What source of information do you place your trust in? And listen, we're living in a culture of propaganda, if you haven't noticed, trying to refine history and everything like that. When you begin to misplace or you begin to place your trust in the wrong sources of information, a spirit of deception will come over you. That's why they died in the wilderness. They never went into it because they believed in the wrong source of information. This is why at the time, this is why I don't even argue with people. Because if they've already placed their faith in the wrong source of information, you have to challenge it at the root, and most people don't want to go there. So you're better off just saying God bless you and walking on. Why? Because deception, a spirit of deception has come over their eyes by which they can't even see. Why? Because they see themselves as grasshoppers. They cannot possibly see themselves as the one who is actually inflicting and routing foreign enemies. And everyone says. So notice this. Escape the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength and who became, notice, became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. You see, God's process for you is the same. How many know that even David, we clearly see a process by which he started as a shepherd boy. But how many know that was all training ground for him reigning in Israel as a king? True, right? This is why when he stands before Goliath, he looks back and he says, I've been in battle. Wait a minute, what you been in battle with? Well, there was a lion and there was a cub and God gave me victory over these things. Guess what? This is going to be the same thing. Now, for those of us, we'd be like, uh, no, I think Goliath is a little bit different than this. But God looked at it as I'm taking one step. I'm getting victory at a lower level. I'm taking another step. I'm getting another victory. And I go from victory to victory, faith to faith, glory to glory. The things that you're suffering right now is preparation for the glory that you shall walk in. All right, let's get to the exposition of Judges chapter 6, and I got eight minutes to do it. <laughs> Judges chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Verse 3, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. Go down to verse 4 through 6. It says, they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkey. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out, say cried out. They cried out to the Lord for help. So here's the first thing. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This is a consistent pattern that you will see in the book of Judges or the book of Deliverer. In fact, in Judges chapter 2, verse 11, let me show you the same principle in this historical context. 
Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did what? Serve the Baals. Okay? So it has to do with the character and the integrity of the people. And this is what they served. And we see the consequence of them doing evil. You see, evil is the real problem. Oh, by the way, in Judges chapter 4. So we see in Judges chapter 2 as well as uh, Judges chapter 4 verse 1, which says this. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. Second principle, whenever you see a leader die that keeps things on track, what ends up happening is they end up living according to their own devices. You can see this in biblical history. You can see this in church history, that people will begin to do what they do. So God raises up, delivers in their time. I like what Albert Einstein says. Evil is the real problem in the hearts and minds of men. It is not a problem of physics, but of ethics. It is easier to denature plutonium than to denature the evil spirit of mankind. And Jesus in the New Testament is the one that eradicates the power of evil that comes through his redemption, through his death, his burial, and his glorification on the cross. We see that, if you will, He's defanged the power of the enemy and that we can have victory in Christ and Christ alone. I like what A.W. Uh, Tozer says. It says, there is nothing evil in matter that isn't physical itself. Evil lies in the spirit. Evils of the heart, of the mind, of the soul, of the spirit. These have to do with man's sin. And the only reason the human body, this corporeal body, does evil is because the human spirit uses it to do evil. Doesn't that recalibrate what evil really is? I'm reminded of what Jesus says. He didn't say that sin is simply because, for example, you commit adultery. He says if you've looked upon woman with adultery in your heart or in your spirit, you're already an adulterer. Showing that Jesus is the one who eradicates sin in its origin. Oftentimes, religion wants to try to just contain or manage sin externally. You know what I'm talking about. But you still have those appetites on the inside of you. But the power of the cross has the ability, and through deliverance in Jesus alone, you can have those desires eliminated. Through the power of being in communion with him, you have the life-giving spirit that is bringing life and bringing eradication to those things. And everyone says. Now, here's the second thing. God hears the cry of his people when they're in bondage. Reminds me of the scripture, even in the book of Exodus, in which the people cry out in bondage, under Egyptian bondage. And it says that God heard the cry. And who did he raise up? Moses is the deliverer. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We see the biographical sketch of a man named Moses who is the deliverer. We are living in great times. You're like, ah, oh, this is post-COVID world. No, this is great. You don't get it. You don't get it. That's like living in these times. Hello? We get the opportunity and the privilege of living these. You see, some of you are like, oh, the glass is half, half empty. No, it's half full. And we get to make it all the way full. 
It's all on your perspective. It all has to do with your mindset, how you view things. Oh my gosh, I might sink. No, you might walk on water. Oh my goodness, I might be drinking dishwater. No, you might be drinking wine. It's all on your perspective of how you view things. And how many know that all things are possible to him who believes? Oh, hallelujah. We're living in wonderful times. You can play. I'm not done, but keep playing. Hallelujah. I'm feeling it now. For those who have been set free from bondage, and you know who you are, as well as those who are online, your cry is now for victory on behalf of other people. You'll see a very clear pattern in Judges. There was a generation that knew not the Lord, nor the things that he did. And then they began to go after other gods. Oh God, all these things are happening. God goes, all right, I'm here. I'm going to help you. But how many know we shouldn't go and have our prayer life contained by just what I call crisis prayer? The only time you cry out to God is during times of your crisis. So you must go from help me prayers to give me victory prayers. You must develop your prayer life beyond crisis prayers and enrich me prayers. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, God, give me all the desires of my heart. I want a nice Mercedes. I want a nice house. Real big, real big, bigger than my neighbors. So that they see how I'm blessed. You know what I'm talking about. With all the bless me prayers on your refrigerators. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm high above, never beneath. I'll lend to many nations. Right? I'll lend to many, never borrow, even though my circumstances show that I'm bound up by the banks. Come on. You must develop your prayer life beyond the crisis prayers, the enrichment life. Both are the consequence of living for self. That once he sets you free, praise God. Thank him for that. But let's go beyond that. Why? Because Jesus wants to use us not just set us free from our state of crisis but to pour out our life for other people and pray victorious prayers in order to get victory on their behalf i'm telling you there's nothing that is more fulfilling to a soul that when you've been set free by the power of god to witness that what he did for me and i love telling people you think you're bad i was worse than you And if he set me free, he certainly will set you free. If he dealt with a knucklehead like me, he can deal with a knucklehead like you. Because I had a double portion of knucklehead. Just saying. And there's nothing like seeing people set free by the power of God. And then raising them up to set other knuckleheads free. Because they were a knucklehead. But God set them free. And he begins to set people free. And this is how a move of God happens. This is how reformation happens inside. This is how you see turnings begin to happen in Jesus' name. These types of prayer usually lead a person back into bondage and back into the same pattern of crisis prayer. So congratulations. Don't be like those 
who know how to get an answer from God during their time of need, but don't know how to get an answer from Him during their time when they don't need Him, which sometimes is most of the time. And everyone says. You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to fhus.org. Enjoy. Enjoy.